Welcome to the fifth episode of Once I Was Colonized, where two girls discuss much more than two ideas on socio-political issues. I'm Indu. And I'm Young Sa, and in today's episode, The Price of Periods, we'll be discussing menstrual equity. If there are any topics that you want to hear us discussing, hit us up at Once I Was Colonized on Instagram or Once Colonized on Twitter. Hello, this is Editing Young Sa. I wanted to let you know that Indu and I are always trying our best to be as inclusive as we possibly can be. But during this episode, we did slip a few times linguistically. And sometimes we didn't catch ourselves after doing it. So I would like to give her some serious apologies about not being the most inclusive in terms of language. And also let you know that we are trying our best to be as inclusive as possible and always trying to be better people. So that being said, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you. So before we talk about periods and how expensive they are, I want to talk about pink taxes in general. Now, pink taxes aren't a real tax, it's just a metaphor for the price difference between products for women and men. And this isn't just about like how much more expensive stuff that women, according to social pressure, need to have. Like, you know, makeup is so expensive and everything like that. It's not even talking about that. We're talking about the price difference when there's literally the same product for men and women, but they're directed differently and they're a huge price difference. And this adds another layer to the wage inequality that women face, making it harder sometimes for women to make ends meet, according to Serena Khan, the CEO of the Women's Foundation of California. If you don't think that the wage inequality isn't real, that's a story for another day. So sometimes the price difference between women's and men's products like do make sense. Like for example, women's haircuts as in like longer hair just takes more labor for the hairdresser so it's more expensive. Sure, that makes sense. But we're talking about price differences that make absolutely no sense. Like the Gillette pink razors that are more expensive just because they can. The Gillette ad, as Youngsa was quick to point out, uh, criticizes toxic masculinity. But a lot of people saw this as hypocrisy because Gillette is like known for having like pink razors, which I myself have bought in the past and I have right now. But they're like much more expensive than the equivalent razors for men. And the only difference is that they're pink. So that's like one of the reasons it's called a pink tax because literally companies will change the color, change the packaging and have that mean that the product itself is more expensive for no other reason than the fact that it is pink. And it's catered to women and girls. Right, yeah. According to the New York City Department of Consumer Affairs, on average, products for women or girls cost 7% more than comparable products for men and boys. And this study like specifically took things that basically look exactly the same, except for maybe color. So a side-by-side comparison of uniform red short sleeve polo shirts found that girls' shirts were $2 more expensive, even though they came from the same retailer and they basically have no difference. Like, it's the same color, same shape, everything's the same, but it's in the girls' section. So it's two whole dollars more expensive. And toys targeted at girls cost uh, 7% more on average in the same study. And this isn't just about dolls and other stuff like that that are catered for girls. But in general, I read that they had bikes that are basically identical. And when it is pink, the pink bike was almost double the price of the one that wasn't pink. And also personal care products, women's personal care products cost 13% more than men's products. And again, this isn't just like completely different things. I actually wanted to say like, 
You know, women's and men's shampoos are basically the same except for the smell, but they cost different. And I googled it, and apparently there like are differences mm-hmm. because like men use more products and like shorter hair, on average, obviously. But I'm sure that the study also accounted for that kind of difference and still found the price difference. Now let's talk about tampon taxes. So sanitary products used to absorb menstrual blood do have taxes imposed upon them. These aren't specifically just on tampons or just specifically a tax for menstrual hygiene products, but the point is that they're not exempt from sales taxes like many other products which are deemed as necessities. In Australia, sanitary products have now been exempt from a nationwide goods and services tax after 18 years of hard campaigning by activists. Canada got rid of the tax on tampons and other menstrual hygiene products in 2015. India in July of 2018 when it was formally a 12% tax. In the UK, there's only a 5% tax. Yeah. And because of Brexit, the UK won't have to follow the EU rules, so they will be able to pass laws that could get rid of it, but those laws wouldn't be in effect until January of 2022. Um, in Kenya and Uganda, uh, sales taxes were abolished on menstrual hygiene products, and Zimbabwe subsidizes local manufacturers who produce these uh, menstrual hygiene products. In addition, something that's really cool is that the Kenyan government provides funding for pads and schools, which I think is really cool. Yeah, you go, Kenya. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I visited another school, uh, the school is actually um, run by the same corporation, Corporation, I guess, yeah, that runs our school, yeah. We go to charters. Yeah, but that school like, had a tampon and pad machine in the girls' bathroom, which I thought was really cool. And it said that like if you don't have a quarter, you can go to the front office and ask for a quarter. And that, that was pretty cool, yeah. So, in America, out of the 14 states that exempt menstrual hygiene products from sales taxes, Five do not have sales taxes at all. And a good amount of states have pending legislation to exempt these products from sales taxes. We've seen progression towards like a better world. And <laughs> I don't know. We've seen a progression towards like more acceptance of like the politics of like having periods. And the fact that we're even having discourse itself, I think, is a step in the right direction. Right, right. Indu and I were confused about this tax situation until like three minutes before recording this episode. <laughs> so last night, uh, my dad was like, what are you working on? And I was the podcast. And he was like, what are you researching? And I was like, tampon taxes. And he was like, yeah, but they like tax rice and rice is a necessity. And I'm like, that that is so Asian. <laughs> but he got the point across. So I did some research. And fun fact, most states do have exemptions for necessities and depending on the state the type of necessity is different but Arizona where we live actually does have exemptions for groceries and this is where Indo and I got really confused because we were like they still have sales taxes on everything what is happening turns out that those are the city taxes so that's why like if you go to Scottsdale it's different uh, sales tax than here but regardless of the city that you're in in Arizona there's not going to be a state sales tax when you buy groceries. Fun fact, guess what isn't taxed? Viagra. I, I feel like um, Viagra just like comes up as a symbolic contrast to women's rights a lot of times. Antithesis. Yeah. Like, not specifically women's rights, but, you know, when the military trans bill first came out, everybody was like, you know, you guys are spending much more money on Viagra than trans people but okay 
and just interesting what benefits Viagra always gets. So, you know, there is a reason that Viagra is exempt from the sales tax. It's because it's a prescription drug. And if you look at uh, analogous prescription drugs, I guess specifically birth control, it is similarly not taxed. But regardless of this like comparison with Viagra, I, I still think that sanitary products should be classified as necessities regardless of the state of Viagra. If it's not a necessity, it's a luxury, right? That's sort of how it works. <laughs> because like it's like we're gonna not put the sales tax if it's a necessity. Right, if right. it's not a necessity, it's a luxury. So that's why people are like, oh, tampons have luxury taxes. But that's not really how it works because tampons don't have additional luxury taxes, which is a misconception that I had until like last night when I started <laughs> researching. And that's why research is important, kids. But yeah, a lot of people believe that menstrual equity is a right, not a privilege. And um, regardless of how many people believe it, I think it's like it should be established out of, as a fact at this point. Uh, menstrual equity is defined as equal access to hygiene products, but also to education about reproductive health. Let's talk a little about sex ed and periods. I feel like um, boys need to learn more about periods too. Learning about how the other sex's body works could create a better fundamental respect. I'm sure that there are similar things that we should know about the male body as well, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. But you know, like a lot of boys just straight up don't understand like what period pain is like. They don't understand what the body's doing and they're like, oh, period tests when girls are cranky when that really isn't true. And for many people, um, PMS comes in very different forms. Some people throw up, some people like don't feel pain at all, some people crave sugar. Like it's different, but they like all go through a lot of like hormonal changes. And I feel like a lot of men, especially when they're younger, just don't understand that. Yeah, so that is my little rant. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, menstrual products are already expensive without taxes, especially when you're trying to buy organic cotton stuff, which I guess like you don't like have to do it. But my family, personally, we try to buy organic menstrual products because I think like last year or the year before, there's this huge thing where it turned out that basically almost all pads produced in Korea have carcinogens in them because of the chemicals that they use to make the pads thinner and mm-hmm. absorb more because you know thinner is more comfortable so they have a, a lot of carcinogens and everybody's like crap guess we have to buy pads from other places <laughs> and it is a whole mess and yeah it's expensive and if you're trying to look for like organic like healthy stuff specifically because you know it's easy to get like infections especially for my tampons it gets really expensive and i feel like we should be working to cut down on that price like yeah getting rid of the taxes first but after that we should try to cut down on that price too like subsidizing like Zimbabwe right. okay so um now we can talk about how like a lot of people who are homeless or are poor are subject to like more of these impacts of not having access to clean and good quality like menstrual hygiene products this is known it's known as period poverty where those who are more disadvantaged obviously face less access to the hygiene products that they need and so they'll resort to like really inconvenient strategies in order to even gain these products that they need for example like a lot of people will trade the food stamps that they need to buy their food which 
on another level isn't enough to, for them to buy yeah. the food. Um, and they'll trade those food stamps for hygiene products, which is illegal, but like maybe we should have another program that covers menstrual hygiene products. Like, I don't right. know, just putting it out there. Like, mm-hmm. poor women, or sorry, poor people who menstruate deserve to have the same access to hygiene products as anyone else. And like Youngsa was saying, like most people agree that um, access to hygiene products is a right, not a privilege. And so the gov- government has a responsibility to provide those things mm-hmm. for individuals. Yeah, this is what intersectionality looks like. Have you watched the PragerU video where they're like... <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so basically it's just this like... A guy who is like, intersectionality means that if you're a white man, your voice doesn't matter. And people just like pile like, oh, I'm a woman, so my voice matters more than yours. Plus I'm black, so it like matters more. Plus I'm queer, plus I'm disabled. It like weights your opinion. Like that's how a lot of people who don't really feel the need to advocate for intersectional feminism, like feel intersectionality is... And I feel like, uh, to some extent, it is a uh, part our fault, and our as in like intersectional feminists who diluted the concept in that way. But intersectionality in its core means that many people are on like intersections, basically like crossroads of multiple disadvantages. For example, women already have menstruators have this disadvantage of needing to pay a lot for their um, products. And then on top of that, if, if you are homeless, if, if you're you, economically disadvantaged. Yeah. So that's that's how intersectionality works. It's not about whose opinion matters more. Right. It's that some people like need more help on layers. Right. Yeah. Right. So when talking about period poverty, we have to assess the various health risks associated with it. When people start substituting real menstrual hygiene products, people will start literally using like notebook paper or paper towels, like Youngsa was saying to me earlier. And instead of actual hygiene products, in order to uh, make up for the fact that they literally cannot pay for tampons or pads. And this period poverty has been linked to high rates of cervical cancer in India. And in Kenya, studies found that poorer girls traded sex to afford pads, which made them actually more vulnerable to STDs. These types of impacts are things that are easily overlooked, but they're so like important for us to assess, like, this is how big of an issue this is, right? right? And it just goes back to like intersectionality, like Youngsa was saying, because the more cross-sections of like disadvantage that you have, the more likely it is for you to face like an even bigger risk of right. like endangering yourself. Right. One of the big health risks that are talked about the most is toxic shock syndrome. This is mostly associated with tampons, but it also happens when you don't have access to proper hygiene products. It happens when you get infections from inadequate substitutions. It's rare for it to happen, but when it does happen, it often leads to death. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, as we already said, it's not uncommon for women in poverty to use rags. Usually, like, they're not even washed. Usually, usually right. they're, like, really dirty rags. Mm-hmm. And a while back, there was a kid in Korea who, like, used her shoe insole as a pad. I think she didn't have a mom, and she didn't, like, know what was happening to her body. And she was like, crap, let me just absorb this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, it's just sad that first, these people, like, don't have access. And second, that, like, there are so many girls who, like, don't know what what's happening ha- to them. And it's honestly scary because not only, like, is there blood coming out of you, 
but also it's painful. Right. Yeah. It's pretty scary, especially if you like don't have somebody to like tell, tell you, you what's what to do. Yeah. Right. The UN Population Fund in East and Southern Africa found that there's powerful evidence that girls are more likely to miss school or even drop out if they're unable to manage their cycle and are often teased because of their periods. How crappy is that? Right, that's horrible. I know that She's the First is doing, the international organization is right. doing a lot about this and mm -hmm. their main goal is to like empower women through education and like it also talks about how after a woman's period uh, or after a person gets their period the likelihood that they drop out of school like radically increases mm -hmm. just because of the fact that that's such a big obstacle in a person's life day to day something else i just want to plug really quickly is this girl that i know that is a mutual of mine started girl up which is basically a nonprofit in arizona where they collect, they do a lot of things, but I know one of the biggest things they do is like they collect tampons as part of like a drive and then mm -hmm. they donate it to homeless women in Arizona. I think that's really cool and it's like a really specific issue which makes right. it really easier for like activism to happen. Mm -hmm. We should start like tagging all the people we talk about in the episodes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because like they deserve recognition. Yeah. Too. So on on a brighter note, going off of that awesome uh girl power thing going on, yeah. um, there are a lot of like symbolic things happening about menstrual equity around the world. For example, just in general, people are generally bringing more attention to it. Like more and more countries are getting rid of the tampon taxes or at least lowering them. And sometimes people just make a point, like Labour MP in UK, uh, a Labour MP, Danielle Rowley, announced in the UK House of Commons that she's on her period to bring attention to how expensive period products are. And I think that's pretty awesome. Right. Because, you know, like, it's so taboo. Like, did you have that experience where, like, when you're around like 12 or 13 and when you like go to the bathroom to like change your pad you like make a girl stand in front of your backpack so that like nobody sees you putting your pad in your pocket and you like hide it on the way there yeah like there was a situation where someone like went to the bathroom and came back and they had changed and then like a bunch of people were like oh like i bet she was on her period and it was like a big joke and oh, yeah i don't know it was Periods are, like, so stigmatized, so mm -hmm. we can't even have conversations like this without people being like, oh, did you have to be so vulgar? Like, why are you using words like that? Like, it's pretty sad. Yeah, yeah. and, and this, this person just, like, straight up announced to the House of Commons. Right. The parliament that she's on a period. That's, like, um, I think that takes more courage than it seems to be because, like, right. at surface, it's like, okay, that's cool. And you think about it, it's like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> um, there, there's also this, um, I, I think she's American, a woman named Kiran Gandhi ran the entire London Marathon while free bleeding, and I, I read part of her interview, and she said that she has, like, really, really bad period pains, mm -hmm. and she, like, cannot do anything while she's on a period, but she's like, I've trained so long for this marathon, and I'm gonna do it, so that, again, was symbolic more than anything else, but it's still pretty cool. I... I don't know how I feel about free bleeding, honestly. It's probably unsanitary. Yeah. But, like... Yeah, uh, so in the interview, she said that she's heard about, like, because a marathon is so long, right? Right. So sometimes um, men would have, like, their nipples bleed because of the abrasion between the shirt. Right. Yeah. 
because you're like moving for right, so right, long. Right, right, yeah, right. so she was afraid that that would happen with like a tampon. Even though tampons are designed to be comfortable for like three to four miles, she's running 26 miles. Mm -hmm. So that's why she chose to do it. But I don't know, like, I see, like, quote-unquote, like, feminism in the form of, like, oh, we're gonna flee free bleed everywhere. And it's like, first of all, that seems like a sanitation issue, as in, like, it's literally you're putting blood everywhere. Yeah. And that's probably, like, a health risk in general. Yeah. Second, why? Like, this, I don't see that necessarily. Yeah, like, I remember you posted something on your story, and it was, like, someone, like, Oh smeared blood all over their face like like who does that help yeah, yeah sometimes you like when you have symbolic movements you should make sure they don't push more people away than they do bring more people yeah. to your movement mm -hmm. and it's like you know movements don't have to like cater to people i guess but yeah like focusing your feminism on free bleeding makes me question where your priorities are in feminism a little yeah <laughs> yeah um also a new york congressman named sean maloney got into an argument with house administrators who said he couldn't use house funds to buy hygiene products for visitors and staff members it is like 37 dollars, and they're like dude you can't do that and he was like this is like necessary like you know you would buy paper for your office I'm putting stuff in the bathroom right. for people who need them. Mm -hmm. So there was this little argument. And also the market is changing to cater to people who actually use the products instead of, you know, just like girls in flowery white dresses like pantsing around. <laughs> you, you know you know what I'm talking yeah. about. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. And they like pour detergent to like show, show how like how yeah. it's you know, like pouring detergent and absorbing it's like kitchen towels have the same thing yeah but now um not only are ads changing like ads are definitely changing yeah they, they show like athletes mm -hmm. in everything or just people doing normal people stuff while on their period which is pretty cool but their products themselves are also changing too um google them if you want to know more about them i also want to talk a little about a non-profit organization called period um i actually uh, found out about this because of art mm -hmm. because there's this pretty cool digital artist named Amea Okamoto mm -hmm. and she makes art for like she's uh, half Chinese half Japanese mm -hmm. but she makes art for like Black Lives Matter in Portland and she also makes art for like sex ed uh -huh. which is pretty cool and her sister Nadia Okamoto co-founded period with her friend Vincent Forand is, is it yeah, I think it's important. In 2014, when they were just high school students in Portland, which is pretty cool. And she's she's a Harvard student right now, and she took a year off to write a book about her nonprofit, and she's on tour and everything. It's pretty yeah. cool. They they do stuff for like education and advocacy, education against the taboo of periods, and lobbying to repeal the tampon tax and for menstrual products in public places. But their biggest thing is similar to what Girl Up in Arizona does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they make like care packages that they deliver to homeless people. <laughs> because again, as we talked about earlier, um, homeless people are very, very prone to infections from lack of proper hygiene products. So yeah, they they have like a bunch of chapters around the country, especially at like university campuses and some high school campuses. Yeah, it's pretty cool.
Yeah, so uh, me and Hamsa, being from Arizona, had to talk about the Arizona prison crisis right now. Um, no, it's not part of the prison industrial complex. Oh, uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about that next time. Yeah, <laughs> but like specifically concerning access to hygiene products. In European pres- prisons, access to sanitary menstrual products is considered a basic human right, but um, not here, so love that for us. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in 2017, federal prisons passed legislation to provide free menstrual products, but they were not doing a good job of it. Also, less than 10% of inmates who menstruate are in federal prisons, so very little people would what have been impacted by, yeah. by this legislation. Yeah. Um, so in Arizona prisons, female inmates get 12 got. Pads, got 12 pads per month, which, um, doing the math, is not enough, and if your period is irregular or lasts longer, or is heavier, you are ultimately screwed. Yeah. So the inmates could ask guards permission to buy more pads, but there were problems because, one, the guards are mostly male, and the inmates had a hard time talking about their periods with men and were also often humiliated. Two, because the guards straight up denied permission, and three, these women earn like nine cents an hour after tax, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And four, the maximum amount of pads that you could get was 24 pads a month. Wait, wait, let, let's do like some quick math real quick to like put this number into perspective for people who don't have periods. Periods normally last like three to seven days. I think that's what I learned. And days two and three are like heavy mm-hmm. and... Mostly they're gone by, like, day five, but sometimes you just have, like, a little bit coming out until, like... I've had a period that lasted three weeks. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is weird. But anyway, um, so if you say that, like, you use, like, four pads a day on average, but you would use, like, five or six for, like, heavy days. Mm-hmm. So if, if you get 12 pads a month, that's only going to cover three days, and that, that's not taking into account that at least two after three days for um the average menstruator would be like super heavy and i'm pretty sure that they probably don't provide like proper overnight pads mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure so um yeah i hope that like put it into perspective for those of you who like don't realize how little this number is i i believe that i've heard that if you bled through in your like prison uniform that is a dress code violation that resulted in less pads because that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. Arizona House Representative Athena Salmon introduced a bill that barely made it past an all-male committee with a 5-4 to four vote. So Representative Jay Lawrence was like, I can't believe I have to hear about period problems. So a bunch of people had pads mailed to him, which is like really cool of them. <laughs> and um, now these women in, or these people in... Arizona the prisons. people in Arizona prisons get a minimum of 36 pads and can request for additional pads without charge. But we still don't have access to tampons. Um, and then after these reforms, Maryland also followed suit and did something similar. So Reforms are happening and it's cool. Yay. Yeah. You know, so- someday maybe we'll be able to discuss like sustainability with uh, menstrual hygiene products because, you know... There's a pad itself, but there's also, like, the plastic wrap. Not on plastic, but, like, I don't know what material that is. Like, wrapping, that's probably not good for the environment. Um, but, yeah, 
maybe we'll be able to someday discuss like what are better ways to approach like sustainability and sanitation at the same time but for now i think it's a more urgent problem to get sanitation products to people but i yeah because like even for people who have abundant access to these products um i feel like the sustainability talk isn't there yet because of like sanitation infection problems you know yeah like first we have to have access to something before talking about how we could improve a system yeah um yeah that that's all we have for you today okay have fun (laughs) yeah so visit us on instagram visit us on twitter tell Tell us what you think about it. Tell us what you want to hear us talk about. Tag Hasan Minhaj. Um, <laughs> I, I actually found in our like topic, possible topic list that I wrote student debt like a long time ago. And guess who talked to a student debt? Hasan Minhaj and Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. I'm so angry because you keep stealing your products. <laughs> not, not products, our, our ideas. <laughs> not our products. So yeah, see you next week or maybe the week after, guys. Bye, love you.